0: This is One Heat Minute.
1: Drop of a hat, these guys were rock and roll.
0: What's your name? Wayne Grove.
1: look like gang bangers, working the local 7-Eleven to you. Robbery, homicides, take it. Give me
0: all you got! This and Give me, you me, all got! me
1: all you got! I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best, trying to stop guys
0: like me. A podcast dedicated to all 170 minutes of Michael Mann's L.A. crime opus Heat, one minute at a time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to One Heat Minute. I'm your host, Blake Howard, and joining me is the chief film critic from the New York Times, my favorite living critic. Oh it is an God. absolute pleasure to have her. It's Manolik Dargis. Welcome to One Heat Minute and thank you so much for Skyping in and uh, and joining me on this quite insane and lengthy project. I really appreciate <laughs> it.
1: Thank you very much. Um, I really hope that I can live up to that rather <laughs> extravagant introduction. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> look, I, I thought it was short and sweet, you know, but, but powerful. Um, and look, uh, the reason that I reached out to Manola for, for people who have uh, who may have been following along One Heat Minute for some time is not only have I been uh, wanting to talk to Manola or have an excuse to talk to Manola about something, but specifically with heat, um, I read a long time ago when I was working on it on a thesis on Michael Mann when I was studying at university and I was reading Nick James's book just sort of as a little bit of a, a nice break from critical theory and in there he talks specifically about his insider in LA which is Manola so um, I, I, I remember it a little uh, like a little acknowledgement in there my insider thank you Manola Dargas, my insider in LA and Nick James hopefully we're trying to tee up a time that he can join us on the podcast as well I'm really looking forward to that but Manola thank you so much for coming on and joining us and for a really great minute of heat which is Robert De Niro's character Neil McCauley and Amy Brenneman's Edie uh, have have left the cafe and they're now talking about life Um, he's getting to know her and they're at this beautiful apartment uh, looking down onto a city of lights of Los Angeles so what I might do is I'll I'll let us stop talking for a second and I'll jump into this and let the guys listen and then Manola and I will come back and talk about heat and talk about this great scene. Oh, uh, scots Irish. They, um, they immigrated to Appalachia in the late 1700s. Where are you from?
1: The Bay Area.
0: Are your folks there?
1: Well, my mother died a long time ago. My father, I don't know where he is. Got a brother somewhere. You have a tight family, I can tell. Yeah. Right?
0: these iridescent algae that come out once a year in the water manola a great scene a scene that begins in the appalachians and ends with iridescent algae in fiji
1: yes um though i would say that the scene if i'm hitting my mark correctly is really begins with this astonishing panorama of los angeles at night um we are uh, in Edie's apartment, which she says is above the Sunset Plaza. Which, if you live in Los Angeles, you might be slightly skeptical of because that's a rather expensive neighborhood. It's above the Sunset Strip, and she seems like a kind of struggling, struggling young woman uh, financially. But um, nonetheless, you know, we allow we allow our filmmakers their romanticism, <laughs> including, including when it comes to rent. Um, one of the things I was thinking about is that one of the kind of opening shots, I'm going to backtrack a little because to talk about this minute, of course, we have to talk about other minutes in the movie. Yes. Really important, um, uh, important moment where we're introduced to him um, and he goes to, you know, to Robert De Niro's character and he's at home. And he's standing against this wall of windows. And it's a, just a complete field of blue, a kind of East Klein blue, kind of very gorgeous. And it's very beautiful. And he has this very spectacular view onto the water, but in a way it's kind of empty. And I was just thinking about the contrast between that shot of him alone yes. and then this shot of together overlooking a city filled with people. Filled. And yes, you know, it does this, it, it does recall the little algae or looking at, you know, at night, the little iridescent dots. But it's also each one of those dots represents a life and people having lives perhaps together. And so much of what is the story here is the sto- story of Neil being alone, perhaps being lonely, kind of grappling with that. But certainly having one family with his gang, but also
0: desiring something else with Edie and i think that that's a really excellent point is when when neil is Uh, against that wall he's looking out into that ocean and now later in this scene he's talking about this iridescent algae I think he's kind of Mm -hmm. trying to talk away his loneliness like he's looking to that blank sublime blue gorgeous ocean that feels like it's endless in that moment and here he's like he's seeing life you know city of lights I think he even even says the line city of lights Mm -hmm. and and so Mm -hmm. here he's like he's, he's wanting to conjure oh you know in Fiji they've got these lights and that's what it feels like to be connected and it feels like there's people but his fantasy is still so really like tragic and lonely because he's like I just want to go in Fiji and be alone and have algae keep me company as opposed to these people in LA that we're having right now. So it feels like this great contrast. I love that that you're pointing it out because like in this moment when he's staring out onto you know this you know wall like it's just luminescent, this light just pouring up um, uh, up up the valley. Um, he's in this moment, he feels much more complete. He's asking about another person. He's being a little bit selfless um, because he's he's kind of abandoned all those things that make him a person.
1: Well, I think what's also – I think it's important is the kind of – and part of, I think, part of the great seduction of this movie is the figure of the romantic gangster, you yes. know. Um, these men are very, very brutal. And it's I find it really interesting how Michael Mann – plays with their brutality and shows you how terrible they are on the one hand. And yet there is this this kind of romanticism that certainly clings to him. You know, certainly clings to Michael Mann, but also clings to Neil. Um, You know, he's a a kind of a very strange combination of qualities. Um, And I think the Fiji story, you know, is also about, we are supposed to understand that he has dreams and he has dreams of escape. And I remember it suddenly that it reminds me of the postcard um, that Jamie Foxx's cab driver um, has um, in his car in Collateral. Absolutely. He too has a dream of going someplace else, you know, that there's this other place, you know, kind of over the rainbow (laughs) that you can (laughs) go to um, that is your fantasy place where you don't have to worry about the kind of material concerns or getting, you know, the next job or maybe getting shot by the cops or any of that, you know, that you, there's this paradise and that he's sharing it with her is a very, I think, a kind of um, an introduction of um, vulnerability in Neil, the kind of uh, opening of a kind of vulnerability that is very important and that's what she does. I mean, women, you know, female, figu- female characters in movies often do that. They become a kind of um, a kind of a uh, way of express uh, men being allowed to express emotion, you know, whether it's love or jealousy or whatever. And I think here we understand that, that he's very loyal to his men, but here we understand that he has longing, longing for an escape, longing for her, her as an escape. You know, I'm kind of just yeah. a, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And, and, in this in this particular sequence it's really funny that man's themes sort of come out in a lot of these sequences. And you see it in you see it in Thief, first of James Kahn. He's got that picture, this sort of imagined um, collage, if you like, of what the perfect life is. And, and then mm-hmm. later, much later, you get in Collateral. I, I love that sort of the, the island postcard. Jamie Foxx's character's got the island and he wants to create island limos. This is his dream. Um, mm-hmm. And here De Niro's talking about an island, like a, a literal island that's somewhere mm-hmm. else that's going to help solve his problems. But as a and it's I love what you also said, Manola, about the opening, the warmth. Because even the way that De Niro is shot is so closed, closed in, and over his shoulders, and in that beautiful shot that we're talking about, out to the ocean, that happens in, in the preceding minutes of the film, um, in the twenty-second minute, in fact, of the film. Um, <laughs> the, uh, he's very close in and it's only in sort of the lead up here. I think it's about the 28th minute, 29th minute where we see De Niro's Neil open up to Edie and you see him sort of open up the shoulders. There's warmth. He's shot warmly and we're getting to see sort of not this sort of closed clinical, you know, over the shoulder scrunched up Michael Mann, um, tactical point of view. We get to see him open and be a person and, 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 and trying to embrace Edie as well, which is, um, what I really like. Now, you've, can can we go back to, when was the first time that you saw Heat? Did you see Heat theatrically when it came out?
1: Oh, yeah. I, um, I was working at the LA Weekly, which is an alternative newspaper in Los Angeles, and I reviewed it. And I think that it was one of those movies, I think I was a little bit more critical of it than I am now. And I think I loved it, but I hadn't, I, sometimes you see a movie and you don't actually have time to grapple with your contradictory feelings about it. Yes. Um, but I returned again and again to, uh, to the movie. And I, I, you know, I was really lucky. I saw it, you know, for the re-release, um, I saw a uh, beautiful new print here in Los Angeles. Um, so I've seen it a number of times and I'm just very, Taken. one of the things I really like about it is how it incorporates women into the story. I mean, so many movies, you know, women are really so profoundly marginalized. They're just kind of like literally almost clinging to the, to the edge of the book, you know, and it's like, honey, bye, I have to go rob, a, you know, a bank <laughs> or, or whatever. And there she's like, bye. Um, and I think that, you know, clearly this is very much about this this male gang and, a, and, the, and these two male gangs, you know, the cops and robbers, um, kind of these two, uh, you know, the doppelgangers. Um, but at the same time, the women are so important to these men. And I think it's very important, you know, just since I just rewatched the movie yet again, the way that the difference between how Neil and Vincent are both introduced, one is introduced, uh, you know, getting ready for a job, you know, to steal something, and the other man's in bed with his wife. Yes. I think that that's really interesting, and that is really a distinctive um part of who these men are. And the Al Pacino character has a lot of problems with his wife, who's really wonderfully played by a Diane Venora, but um, he does have her in his life, you know? And I think that struggle to balance the personal with your professional life is really important. And I love that man really is really attendant to that. You know, I some I do, of course, wish he had more women and gave women bigger parts. But the women in this movie are very memorable,
0: which yeah. I love. Yeah, I, I was going to say it's it's really hard being a guy and having spoken to so many um, guys in, in the in the process of talking about heat. That uh, one of the things I always say is like one of my favorite. You know, I, I I say that this film is like a love story between you know two different love stories. The first love story is between Vincent and Neil, which is. Uh, Pacino and De Niro and the second love story is between Chris and Charlene um, and yeah. I, I really find that Ashley Judd's character particularly Diane Venora incredibly strong women and what's interesting yeah. here is that I think one of the things that allows Neil to keep Edie on this strange fringe because she's absolutely not as involved as some of the other women in the film, although she's very important, she's not as involved in their day-to-day lives. One of the things I love about that is that that is the contrast. He thinks that he's in control. He thinks that, you know, I'm the older guy, she's younger, I'm more experienced, she's less, she's a little bit naive, I can sort of brush these things under the carpet. But what's really fascinating and what I think – every time I rewatch it and I love it, I, I think she becomes like, exactly as you said earlier, she, she reveals emotions, but I think she's like a window into his psyche as well because it's just another level of control. I can't have a really dominant, powerful woman who I can barely control like Charlene in Ashley Judd's amazing um, uh, character. Um, and and uh, Patino contends, has to contend with Diane Venora's Justine. Um, and, and, and it's almost like Neil's like, I can have this, but I almost can't... I, I'm being very deliberate with the way that I'm choosing the partner that I'm going for here. So I love this warmth, but it's like, I love the, and it's, you know, the, the yeah. challenge, the challenge of this project is not talking about other parts of the film as much, but yeah, I love that. No, it. I, understand.
1: I understand. But I mean, don't you think in a way, you know, I was just thinking is Edie kind of like Fiji, you know, I mean, you yeah. know, beyond the you know three, the four letters of each word, but <laughs> that, I mean, because it's interesting that she really, Is separate. She's not like the wives who kind of know what their husbands are, you know, do. Yes. Um, uh, In in a different scene, people will find out. But um, she is, she is off to the side. But she's not like a side dish, you know, the way that sometimes you know a woman (laughs) like the mistress who is just, you know, you go and you visit her, and you know, and then you go, you go have the rest of the movie. (laughs) Like she. Her relationship is, is really interesting. She's a really interesting character. Just before the, our minute that we're talking about, they've met and she works in a bookstore, you know, and it's an interesting kind of pickup because she's the one they, they meet. Actually, you see them together at the bookstore in the previous minutes that you've already discussed. I'm hoping that's OK. Yes. Um, yes. And, and then they're sitting at a, a counter and she's the one who starts talking to him. You know, and I think that that's really important because it says a lot that says a lot of things about, first of all, he is very closed in. You yes. know, he's very he's looking at his book on, on metals, metal work. <laughs> and she's the one who kind of knocks on that door. You know, she's the one who says, hey, you come be in the world with me. Yes. And I think that, you know, when they get to our minute, you know, and they're talking after the, that beautiful, there's this left to right pan of the city, just folded out, just beautiful sparkling. And then they, they start talking and immediately the conversation is about, you know, family and origins and in our, you know, that, and you know, where's your family from? And that's really important. That's almost, that's one of Neil's big lines in this scene, you know, is that, He immediately with her in this in this minute that we're discussing, he said he asks her one of the first questions he asks her is, where is your family from? And she says, Appalachia. Uh, And then he also says, you have a tight family. And, you know, this is it's almost like he has to see someone who is kind of from the same tribe. She may not be a gangster, but she's someone who understands the importance of the tight knit family unit that, you know, that is so important to Neil in terms of his men. Yes. Um, Um, and it's kind of like a recognition that she might be okay. You know, that this, this stranger might actually be someone who would make sense for him.
0: Yeah. And there's a re it's almost like he reassures himself by reassuring her. He's like, Oh, I can see, I can tell, I can tell you from a tight knit family. I can tell. And so it's, it's that instinct. Yeah. And and it's another, this is another little man, Michael Mann's sprinkle is that um, it just so happens that the Appalachians, where she's saying that she's from, is the same area that Madeline Stowe's family was from uh-huh. in, in The Last of the Mohicans. So Mann uh-huh. does love to sprinkle these little um, these little tiny details in there, uh, re, you know, self-referential, not quite Tarantino, but um, fun for man geeks uh, out, out there <laughs> as well. Um, yeah, so... Really interested to hear your thoughts. Um, uh, your thoughts, and it's really hard because I know this is almost impossible to talk about. But what's, what do you think about uh, the sort of the profession, the psychology of this professionalism, and what do you think fascinates man and make him, makes him such a good um, proponent of sort of uh, examining this particular obsessive professional um, in, in, a, in a whole stack of films that he's made for his career?
1: I, I, you know, I, I think it's completely uh, self-referential. I've, that's the. What I've always thought it was. You know, I mean, I think like you know, if we go, you know, to Thief, right? Yes. You know, those incredibly. You know, these are men who are very good at their jobs, and you know, usually there's someone who's heading up the crew, and you know, you could call him the head. You know, the 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 boss, or you could call him the director. You know, yes. so I've always. Um. You know, and I think it's just something that is very important to him. And I actually, you know, I haven't read a lot about, you know, you know, it's kind of dangerous to read too many um, kind of interviews with directors sometimes because they start explaining their themes to you and you already have a certain idea and and you don't want to become too persuaded by them necessarily. I mean, it's kind of interesting. So I actually haven't read a lot to see if that is really true, but I've always just seen it as, you know, his interest in professionalism has always seemed to me to be very much about his own professionalism. He's a, he makes, he's absolutely, he's got a famous work ethic. He makes these absolutely stunning movies you know, and he has themes just like Howard Hawks had themes, you know, you know, certain friendships and had certain kind of women is in movies. Michael Mann is the same thing. And we can say that this is, uh, you know, this is an authorial signature of, of his, you know, I don't really read much more beyond that. I just know that, yes, I completely understand it. And it's part of what makes his movies recognizable and that you, I love the continuity of themes, you know, from one movie to the next, you yes. know, um, and that, you know, I just think what's so interesting um is that he has his reputation for, you know, guys loving his movies, but I just think he's such a swoony romantic, you know? I
0: mean <laughs> I agree. I, I, I totally <laughs> agree. You know this. Mo- this I mean, this look winner. at Last of the, mo- like Last of the Mohicans. Oh,
1: absolutely, is, I will. Is, I will come back
0: for you. You know, like is the swooniest, most gorgeous romantic period <laughs> film. Absolute winner, and uh, and it uh, doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. You can get so much out of that film.
1: Absolutely, but it's interesting because you know. Whether it's this movie or let's say the Miami Vice, one of the great, yes. you know, critically underappreciated movies of a recent.
0: Oh my we could turn this podcast into <laughs> my favorite podcast. Of, it's already one of my favorites ever, but this could be if we start getting into Miami Vice. Oh, oh God, help us! But yes, go on. But sorry, I, think I, about,
1: I mean, just think about the idea that in a lot of ways, when we think about he, we think about um, we just think about you know. Gangsters, cops, we think about, it's very uh, kind of famous at this point, almost, you know, near legendary um, shoot em up sections, you know. Yeah. Um But also when I think about Michael Mann, I do think about, you know, the look between um, Daniel Day-Lewis's character and Madeline Stowe's character in Last of the Mohicans when he promises to come back for her before jumping off, you know. (laughs) And I I think about the the beautiful, sexy uh, boat trip that Colin Farrell and Gong Li take uh, to Havana, which is just, you know, like just Again, swooningly sexy and look at this you know uh, it's interesting Robert de Niro is such a great actor and but he has not always been a great romantic partner in movies. Yes. He's not always felt comfortable um, be, you know playing these kind of in these romantic kind of situations and I think he's so good in this movie and I think he's really comfortable. In all of his scenes um, with um, Amy Brenneman, you know, I think that he feels very authentic. He feels very natural. He feels very vulnerable in a way that's quite interesting. Given particularly that much of the rest of the movie, Neil is kind of is, you know, the tough guy who's yes. keeping it all together, the scary tough guy and I just think it's so interesting to see it. And in our, in our minute is this is a very, very beautiful kiss, you know, and it's like, and here is Michael Mann kind of a often I think of as like, you know, guys love him, a swaggering male cinema who just makes these absolutely beautiful romantic um, movies. So these moments between um, men and women that I just love. And, you know, this scene when they, this, this is a moment where they kiss and the scene is, Behind them, it's, you know, kind of his version of fireworks. It's quite lovely.
0: Yeah, and, and that's, we're going to just – just to mention the briefest moment, and for me it's about – and I think it's like scrutinizing the finer details as part of this exercise is there's something so beautiful that happens in a following moment, but I'd love to talk to you about it because you've just yeah. so freshly watched it, is when he, he folds a beautiful napkin on, the, on a glass – and leaves uh-huh. her a glass of water, like that detail for me. Every time gets me about just how how perfect De Niro and, and the comfort level of him being a romantic lead here, because that's like the most. That's the most romantic exit of a one night stand <laughs> ever. Like he folds her an origami wrap on a on a glass, like it's amazing. And I and I, I think about that a lot, and I and I go, that's that that perfect little deft. But very sweet detail um, doesn't feel like a closed door, and so later on, it doesn't feel disingenuous when when she goes, "I, I wasn't sure I was going to hear from you," and he's like, "Oh no, no, you know, didn't you yeah. see? Didn't you see me do that beautiful thing on the glass? Like, you know, we, we were." <laughs> well, she,
1: to, to be fair, she she is sleeping when he leaves the glass with her. But uh, I do think, you know, I think it's a reminder of of how you know this seem this is so this is I realize incredibly obvious, but how you can build character visually through visual cues that, you know, not everything American movies, particularly American independent film tends to be very dialogue heavy and everything is explained. And, you know, one of the glories of Michael Mann's work is that, um, there's so much meaning in, in the image, you know, and, um, and sometimes it's, it's because it's a panorama that is suggesting, you know, the great beyond, you know, that, that are, our, that are our antiheroes thinking about. And sometimes it's just a kind of the sensitivity and the, the of, of someone leaving it's a glass and he just wraps a napkin around it rather beautifully um, because he's, he's thinking about her, you know, it's a kind of, instead of leaving a note, you know, that would say, you know, I had a wonderful time last night. He has this gesture that is going to speak volumes because this is a man who can't just like Pacino's character can't necessarily always articulate what he is feeling and thinking. So he has to express it through action.
0: Yes. And, and I I think uh, that's one of the things I love about um, so much, even though it's such a, you know, a lengthy film, is there's such great lengthy scenes in the film? When no one says a word and everything is conveyed in looks and gestures and body language. And so, even earlier in the film, when they're caging Wayne Grow, um, you know, I just all the body language of Kilmer and, you know, not wanting to be there and Tom Sizemore's just sort of pulsating intensity across the table, you know, and caging him in when he's making room for Neil. And there's just so much that that whole I think it's about a three minute scene. And before Neil gets in there, it's Wayne Grow sort of nervously chattering. Uh, and then you see these other guys just being there and being in the moment and they, they don't need to even speak a word. And, so, and like we've just talked about, one of the most powerful moments, that 22nd minute when he's staring out at the ocean, that's a whole minute of him not saying a single word. We're not even looking directly in his eyes for a lot of the time, but the body language, the, the everything about him there and just that sort of side profile of his face as he's thinking. So great. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I think that is worth pointing out is that, um, well, one of the, I was just looking at our, our minute again, and uh, you know we have the shot of this again of the city, and it's introduced initially with just Edie, and then we have this. It kind of pans over, and then by the time that they're that they're kissing, they're um, uh, there's they're kissing, and then there's a kind of I don't know if it's a cut or a pulling back they're together and, and in the they're right in the
0: center of the frame. Yeah.
1: yeah well, it's really beautiful. It's about, you know, it's kind of the establishment of them as a couple through how you position the actors and what you do with the camera. And yes, it sounds incredibly obvious and you would think every filmmaker should know how to do that, but not everyone does. But Michael <laughs> Mann certainly knows how to do it. Um, again, one of the things I, I really like um, about Mann is, that, you know, he's not afraid of having um, unpleasant characters. One of the things I dislike intensely in in contemporary cinema is a kind of insistence that, you know, a characters always have to kind of change by the end of the movie, which I think is terrible. You know, the the idea that we all learn our lessons, you know, like good little children um, and that, that, that somehow we're supposed to feel sorry or bad for someone who's actually quite despicable. And, You know, we may disagree on this, but I, again, I think the thing that's interesting about, about De Niro's character is that he has many interesting and kind of, and obviously, you know, worthy, um, qualities, including his loyalty, uh, I'm sorry. Am I allowed to curse? I can't. Am I allowed to curse on your podcast? Or Absol- would you
0: prefer? absolutely happy for you to curse? Okay.
1: But he said he's also a stone cold, you know, fucking killer. You know, because <laughs> really, totally. He is, and so these moments with Edie, including our minute here, what they are are not. You know, I feel like I'm not being asked to really kind of sympathize with him. I don't think that that is interesting really to Michael Mann. I think that what Michael Mann is just making a complicated, complex character, you know, someone who is, you know, embodies his contradictions. And because, you know, we won't talk about the ending, but it just, I don't feel like I'm being asked, Oh, look, he cares. He loves I think, you know, it's, he, he, he's capable of loving and he's capable of, of shooting someone point blank dead. And And I think,
0: and that's such, that's such the great, uh, unapologetic nature of the character as well. So while you see people and it's really funny people who love De Niro, I'm not sure if you had this experience, but, in the podcast, there's people who love De Niro and love this perform- De Niro's performance and sort of say, you know, oh, it's the, the contrast between Pacino and De Niro and their styles. And they sort of feel like they've mm-hmm. got a, 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 a kinship with him because they love him as a performer and he's so great mm-hmm. in this role. And so they feel like there's, a, there's this natural inclination for them to sort of be more uh, sympathetic towards the character. But in the end of the day, and that's what's so brilliant, you know, about. The ending of the film, but particularly in the coffee shop scene, the the infamous coffee shop scene, is Mm -hmm. that that what's great about Vincent is like, you know, if I've got to put you away, I'm not going to like it, but I'm going to do it. And, mm-hmm. and, and then De Niro what's even better is he's like and I, there's a flip side to that coin which is I will kill you without even hesitating there won't be I won't, there won't be an eye blink I'll shoot you and there's no problem with that so yeah it's, it's so interesting because again none of this we're not asked to ignore any of it we're not seeing him in this coffee shop scene at the beginning of the film and then see that he does bad stuff and then comes back to Edie. we've seen who Neil is what's and all well before now so it's really interesting just a Absolutely. nice little sort of problem to give the audience and people sort of Back, go back right. and back
1: to revisit. What do we do with, with, you know, villains? And how do we deal with them? And again, I think that Michael Mann is not asking us, you know, um, and, you know, I think this is the same is true of Al Pacino's character, Vincent, you know, who, you know, is kind of a, you know, terrible husband a lot of ways. <laughs> as, as terrible a husband as Diane Venora's uh, character keeps saying, Justine, um, you know. And so neither of these men, but I, there's no – that's so, like, banal. That kind of yes. a, a corruption of what a character is supposed to be is utterly banal and completely uninteresting to Michael Mann, you know? That's yes. just not – he's interested in other things, other ideas, um, other types of characters.
0: Well, this podcast could literally go on forever, especially because <laughs> we opened open the doors to Miami Vice and all that sort of stuff, but I'm going to count – Uh, Count this podcast chickens and be absolutely blessed and take the time to say, Manola Dargas, thank you so much for taking the time to be part of One Heat Minute. Uh, It's uh, a a huge pleasure to have you. And if you could ever find other time or other moments that you would love to discuss later, we would love to have you back. So if if there's another minute somewhere along the line we can get you in for, if it's a coffee shop scene, if it's that heist, if it's that infamous ending, we can talk later. But look, guys, Follow Manola Dargis. Um, it, the best place to go is just the New York Times. You can search for reviews there. You'll have to be a subscriber. Otherwise, you've only got a limited amount of free stuff, but it is definitely worth the money. Um, and I just want to say a huge thank you again, Manola, and uh, and uh, thank you so much for coming on to one Eight Minute.
1: It's been a great pleasure, and I would be happy to return because this is really fun. <laughs> ah,
0: yes. Yes. Excellent. Um, Guys, I have been your host, Blake Howard. Thank you so much again for listening. Um, Thank you to Paul Davies for our music. Thank you to Garth Franklin for our website design. And guys, we are at oneheatminute.com. You can find us on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you go for your podcast. We are there. um, And uh, we'll be back next week with another fantastic guest. Thanks again, Manola.
1: Thank you.